at the, uh, the uh, parables of the kingdom. And we'll be in Matthew 22 this morning, in the first 14 verses of Matthew 22. And basically, we are continuing uh, the parables that Jesus uh, gave um, that we looked at last week. So, uh, you know, Jesus is um, he's come into Jerusalem. This is the last week of his life. Again, uh, referred to as the Passion Week. You know, he comes in on Sunday and he's going to be crucified on that Friday and arise from the grave on Sunday. And so this is the last week of his life. And he is, uh, you know, he's, he's come in again to, um, he came into the temple and overchanged or overturned the tables in the temple and cleared out the temple. And, you know, a lot of people are taking notice, especially uh, the elders and scribes and the Pharisees, you know, the, the, they especially uh, are upset at what Jesus is doing. And they come in chapter 21 and they basically issue a challenge to him that, that we saw or that we talked about last week. They, they wanted uh, to know by what authority are you doing these things? You know, who are you? Uh, how can you, you know, come into God's temple and clear everyone out? And, you know, they just they still don't get it. Uh, they still don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. And so then Jesus, you know, t- turns the tables on them. Uh, we remember that he says, well, uh, before I answer your question, you answer me this. And then he, you know, he says, was John's baptism from from heaven or from man? You know, the, when John's baptizer was going around baptizing uh, early on in the gospel accounts, um, you know, Jesus was asking them, uh, was that was the authority that he had? Was that from heaven or was it a man-made thing? And they, they just could not answer the question. They feared uh, the people too much because if they would have said it was from heaven, then Jesus would have said, well, then why didn't you believe me? But if they said, you know, it was from uh, man, they were afraid that uh, the people would um, would get after them and be mad at them. And so they took the politically uh, correct way out and just did not answer. And so Jesus did not answer uh, their question as well. And so from that point on, Jesus gave them two parables. Again, these are the ones that we looked at last week, uh, the parable of the two sons, uh, and then the parable of the landowner, which we spent a little bit more time on, where uh, we talked about how a landowner went on uh, a trip and he left the, the vineyard in the care of some vine growers who were renting it out basically. And when it was time for the harvest to come, when it was time for uh, the landowner to get uh, some of the rewards of his land, uh, he sent his um, servants to go. And one by one, you know, the servants were, uh, were stoned, were either stoned or, or killed or beat up. And that represented the prophets. And Jesus was trying to get through to these individuals, the religious elite of the day, that, um, you know, I continued from time and time again sending you the prophets. You know, people like Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and Elisha and all of these individuals throughout the Old Testament. I sent them to you, but you continually turned them away. You know, you continually, you know, beat them up, but threw them and throw them in prison, killed them. And so, uh, you know, Jesus is. You know, get, getting this through in their heads. And uh, then, but then finally, uh, God, who represents the, the, the landowner, says, I will, you know, I will send my son. I, they'll respect my son. But of course, 
That didn't happen either. The vine grower said, look, there's the heir. Uh, there's the, the heir uh, who's going to inherit this, uh, this land. Um, let's, get, let's take him outside and, and kill him. And that's exactly what they do. And so then Jesus asked them the question, you know, what, what should uh, the landowner do when he returns? And the people said in chapter 21, verse uh, 41, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers and will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And so Jesus is basically, okay, you know, I gotcha. Right? This is you in the parable. You've just self-inflicted yourselves uh, because this is you. You're the ones that are continually rejecting my word, uh, rejecting uh, the people that I send, the prophets and my son. And so now it's time to give over the, the, the vineyard to those who really are going to take full advantage of it. And so as Jesus continues on in chapter 22 uh, of, of our English uh, translations, uh, Jesus is continuing this context of giving them parables. And so he's going to give uh, this third parable, and it's going to be uh, about a marriage feast. Uh, you know, we, we have seen... Uh, some parables. We've talked about some parables in the past uh, about marriage feasts. And I um, even preached a lesson, I think a month or so ago, on this, on a similar account in Luke. Um, but these individuals are going to receive an invitation. And invitations, you know, they, they really, they, they have the ability to uh, fill us both with, you know, excitement or dread. Right, because there's some invitations that we're so excited uh, to get, but there are some invitations that we dread to receive in the mail, and there are some things that we are happy to attend, and yet there are other events that we, you know, we'd rather not attend. And so, you know, invitations have that effect on individuals. Well, as uh, as we close uh, chapter 21 of Matthew and go into chapter 22, uh, we're going to notice. You know, I'm going to kind of break this down into three sections. We're going to notice. Um, the king's invitation in the first three verses. The king's going to offer this great invitation. In verses 3 through 6, uh, he's going to be rejected. So we're going to see the king's rejection. And then the, the verses 7 through 14, we're going to see the king's response to that rejection. So let's go ahead and read the parable, and then we can uh, jump in. So Matthew 22, starting in verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying... The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast." But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, 
he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, so this is, this is pretty similar to, uh, like I said earlier, the, the, the lesson in Luke uh, chapter 14 uh, that we talked about some months ago. Um, but they're, they're two different accounts. You know, preachers, and Jesus often did this. You know, uh, Jesus didn't just preach the, the Sermon on the Mount once, you know, and then never preached again. He would have preached it, you know, a few times. Uh, actually, Luke does record his own version of it as well. And, you know, preachers do this as well, too. Uh, you know, that, um, you know that they might preach a lesson here and then they might go to another congregation and preach it again. And so... Um, we see somewhat of a familiar lesson given a couple of times within Scripture, and that's okay. Um, but in the Luke, if, if you remember the account in Luke, uh, it was a Sabbath day, and there was uh, a person in the home of one of the Pharisees that Jesus was at, and he um, needed healing. And so Jesus had healed him, but the Pharisees were watching closely to see if, um, if there was anything that they could criticize. Uh, and if you remember, um, as Jesus gave that uh, story in Luke, in Luke 14, uh, remember there was all these excuses were offered. You know, the first guy said, well, I can't come because I bought a piece of land. And, and, you know, he had to go right then and there to check out the land. And then uh, the next person he asked, he said, that, you know, he couldn't come to the, the feast because he had just bought five yoke of oxen and he had to go right now and test them out. And then there was the individual who said, well, he just got married and he uh, couldn't go um, for whatever reason. And so as um, you know, we concluded that lesson, we were, we were talking about how those invited guests uh, did not come. And again, representing the, the, the religious elite, the, the, those uh, Jews, the, the Pharisees and the, the elders and, and the scribes, those who saw themselves you know, way above um, uh, the common people. And so as we turn, again, turn our attentions to Matthew's um, sermon uh, in chapter 22, we notice the, the king's invitation. And um, Jesus paints this portrait for us of a kingdom of heaven as a celebration uh, like no other. You know, this is a great scene uh, that, he, that he's uh, comparing it to, the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is... Um, a term often used for the church. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, the church may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Uh, now in this parable, the, the king is going to represent God and the son, of course, would be Jesus. And, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, but they were unwilling to come. In our day and age, you know, we usually... For a wedding, we'll send out a couple of invitations. You know, we'll, we'll send out uh, a save-the-date card, you know, that so-and-so are getting married, and save this date. And then, and then eventually, you know, you'll send out the, the invitation. Uh, and the same thing was true uh, back then as well, too. They, they would send out an invitation, uh, usually uh, at the time the, you know, the betrothal period began. So basically the engagement period began. They would send out an invitation. And then as things got closer and closer to the wedding date, 
You know, it wasn't always a date that was set in stone, uh, but it depended on, you know, if they could get the, the food prepared and all that. Um, then they would send out another invitation, you know, and not, you know, not a piece of paper or anything like that in the mail, but they, they would send out, you know, heralds and individuals going out into the towns and letting them know, uh, you know, it's time, it's ready, the food's been prepared. And so, um, so of course, these individuals, you know, they, they had time to put these things on their calendar. You know, this is, again, this is no surprise to them uh, that, that this event is coming up. They, they should have plenty of time. They've uh, had many days advance notice and that the exact, the exact day would be set and the time would be determined, again, at the final meal preparations. And then when everything was ready, the one giving the banquet would, uh, you know, he would send for the invited guests. And, you know, it, in this culture, you know, uh, you know, it was an insult to turn down uh, an invitation. I mean, if you're getting an invitation from somebody, you accepted it. But even more so if it's the king, right? The king of the kingdom that you live in is inviting you to a feast. You don't turn that down. But it's, it's going to be shocking, you know, that we, we see that that's exactly what happens here, uh, that his invitation is being um, rejected. And again, corresponding to what, you know, what Jesus is getting across here is that the Jews have been told of the coming Messiah for years. Uh, God and the prophets have been speaking and writing of this king and his kingdom since the beginning of time. Uh, I want to look at a couple of passages, uh, but in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, we have here, uh, Moses records in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, he says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. So even as early as uh, the days of Moses, uh, they understood that one day there was going to be a prophet like him uh, that, that would rise up uh, in the days of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9. This one's a little bit more definitive. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. And so Isaiah lived you know, roughly seven to 800 years before Jesus. Uh, Isaiah wrote here, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. And then if we continue to flip uh, into the prophets, if we get, went to Daniel chapter 2, of course here in Daniel chapter 2, uh, Daniel is recounting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and Daniel is interpreting that dream for uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells them uh, in chapter 44, and if you remember this dream, there's this great statue with a head of gold and you know, the chest of bronze and, you know, it goes all the way down. Or excuse me, the chest of silver and the thighs of bronze and the feet of clay and iron. And Daniel is going to describe this for King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says in chapter 2, verse 44, In those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. 
So time and time again, the prophets are, you know, they're, they're explaining to the people that there is this king, this messianic king uh, that's coming, the, the child from, from God, um, that he's going to come, a prophet like no other, and, and that he is going to, um, you know, set up his kingdom. Well, of course, you know, the, the, the Jews, uh, they're, they're so worldly minded that, you know, all they can think of is uh, a physical kingdom, uh, a kingdom that's going to get them out of Roman suppression, that's going to overthrow the Roman government, that's going to bring them to, you know, glory back to the days of Solomon. So, you know, they can rebuild their temple. And so they're, they're constantly thinking of this, this physical uh, leader, this physical king. Uh, but if that, 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 of course, is not, um, that was not God's plan. And so, but the point we're trying to make is there was no reason for the Jews to be unprepared for the Lord's entrance into the world. And, and you know, we see that, that, that first invitation through, you know, the law of Moses that was given on Mount Sinai. And we see those invitations following up again, time and time again through the prophets. And then we finally see it through Jesus. You know, Jesus is that, that, that last straw, if you will, uh, that, that comes and, and tells the people it's time to repent. And so uh, Jesus told his disciples, you know, that we kind of, you know, we, we mentioned in, in the sermon this morning that he was going to prepare a place for them in John chapter uh, 14. And that he was going to come and receive those of his own. And again, you know, we, we don't know that exact time of his coming, but we have to be uh, watchful for that. And so, um, so the king puts out his invitation. And then we notice again in verses 3 through 6 that it's rejected. Again, and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fatted livestock are all butchered. And everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. Right. This would have been shocking to the hearers of this parable. To, to hear that this invitation, this great invitation by this, this king, this fancy dinner, uh, would have been uh, that people were left and right were um, not accepting the invitation. Um, this royal invitation, and notice the ways that they were done. Uh, in verse 5, uh, some were just, they were indifferent. They, it says they paid no attention, and they went their ways. One went to his farm, the other went to his business. You know, th there's nothing inherently evil about having a farm or raising or having a business, but uh, what this, you know, represents are individuals who are preoccupied with the material world. They're, they're too preoccupied with their, with their jobs or their hobbies uh, to focus on what, what truly matters. And that, that, of course, here is that invitation uh, that God is offering. And then in verse 6, uh, we notice that, and the rest, so the rest of the people seized his slaves and mistreated them and even killed them. So, so some even uh, became violent towards uh, this invitation that was offered. And again, this would have been so insulting to the king. And we notice uh, in, the first, in these last few verses of what the king did uh, to those individuals. He had gone out of his way to invite all these individuals uh, to come, and they rejected his invitation. 
So let's, let's look at the king's response one more time in verses 7 through 14. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their cities on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. So, we, you know, we see the king brings judgment upon uh, those who had rejected him. And so he, his servants go out and they invite a new group of people to the feast. People uh, were told who were both good and bad. And he, and then let's look at verse uh, 11 in particular, verse 11 and following. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. So uh, we observe a man here who uh, he didn't have on the wedding garment. Now, uh, was the king enraged at this man's fashion sense? No, he, he wasn't enraged at what the, uh, the man uh, was wearing, but what he wasn't uh, wearing. Uh, the king asked him how he got in there without wearing uh, the proper garments. You know, it's as if he was saying, how did you get past the doorkeepers with, uh, like that? Uh, it's more of an accusation than a question. Uh, how bold are you uh, to come in here dressed like that? And we notice uh, that the man couldn't say anything. He couldn't muster a, a response. He was speechless, it says at the end of verse 12. He was speechless and without excuse. You know, all the others had given an excuse of some sort, but this man was speechless. And he had access, and it's kind of, it's implied in this account that he had access to the appropriate garments, but he just, he simply didn't wear them. Uh, and so, you know, this represents the man who was prepared or was responsible for his own uh, lack of preparation. And, you know, who does this man represent? Sure. The, the, these are the individuals that maybe at one time have accepted the gospel call or they, they, need, they know they need to accept it, uh, but, but they chose not to live in accordance to the Lord's will. Uh, we can think of in scripture of individuals such as uh, Demas. Are you familiar with Demas? He's mentioned three times in the New Testament. Let me just uh, read these quickly to you because it's interesting the, the progression of this man. He's first mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, Paul here is writing, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Okay, so, so Demas is mentioned along with Luke as sending his greetings to, to these individuals. And then he's mentioned again in the book, of, in the letter to Philemon in verse uh, 24. You know, very similar. Uh, he's, Paul's listing out these greetings from individuals. He says, as do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my fellow workers. So, uh, again, it's as, you know, Demas is a fellow worker of Paul. Uh, he, he is a, uh, a man that is mentioned along with some of these other great brothers like Luke and, and, and Mark. And then when we get to uh, 2 Timothy, 
chapter 4, and again, this would be the last letter that Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, he writes this. Well, let me start in verse 9. He says, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And so we notice the progression of this man Demas, uh, very much a part of uh, Paul's ministry. But then uh, towards the end of his life, we're told that he, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Uh, This is the individual that that Jesus is talking about in this parable of, of a man who is... Uh, he, he's at the wedding, but he's not wearing the wedding garment. And, um, you know, we can look at other uh, scriptures uh, throughout uh, the New Testament about those, uh, you know, like the, 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 the Galatian Christians who, um, who, were, uh, who were false teachers, who were con- or having individuals uh, be circumcised in order to, to please God. You know, they, they were saying that, uh, you know, in order to be a Christian, you have to not only you know accept the gospel, but you also you need to take some parts of the old law and apply that to you as well. And what Paul says to them in Galatians chapter five verse four is that you know they they've fallen from grace. Again, they they were at the wedding feast, uh, but they didn't have the the garments on the the wedding garments. And so again, we you know we can see different examples of that uh, throughout uh, the New Testament. But the point is, is that there's this guest here in the wedding or at the wedding feast, but he's not wearing uh, the wedding clothes. And so the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness in the place. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. And that phrase right there that, you know, that ought to give us pause. That many are, or excuse me, yeah, many are called, but few are chosen. And of course, the, the gospel call is for all men. Right? God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so that call, that invitation goes out to all men. Um, but as Peter says in Acts uh, chapter 10 about this call, he says in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse uh, 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Meaning God sent, okay, so God's sending invitations to all men. God shows no partiality. But then he says in verse 35, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcomed to him. So, so there's stipulations uh, to the invitation that, uh, that, that has been sent out. Uh, it's gone out to every man in every nation. Uh, but it's to those uh, who fear him and do what is right that is welcome by him, he says. And we also need to notice here in this, in this, uh, this parable that it matters uh, what one wears. Uh, I was reading, as I was preparing this lesson, I was reading um, this illustration about uh, Winston Churchill. And so after World War II, uh, Winston Churchill was invited to Russia to, um, to this fancy banquet, to this great reception uh, in his honor. And he shows up uh, wearing his, uh, his famous zipper coveralls. Uh, maybe you know them better as a siren suit. It's something that you know, he sort of invented, sort of this one-piece 
a suit that he would often wear. He was often uh, pictured in it uh, with things. And so he comes there. He's in Russia. The, the Russians are all decked out in their military best and their best attire. And Winston Churchill thought that by him wearing this, maybe it'd be something nostalgic, uh, something that they could talk about, something that they would appreciate. But the Russians, they were humiliated. They were insulted that he didn't consider their banquet worthy of his best, uh, of his best clothes. And so it matters what one wears. Um, now, of course, what we're talking about here in this context is what, what we wear on the inside, uh, not uh, necessarily on the outside. Um, look with me in Galatians chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27. Paul is writing here and saying, uh, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. If you have been baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourselves uh, with Christ. You know, that's... Uh, you know, your apparel is Christ. Now, of course, again, uh, you know, we're not talking about the outside appearance, but we are talking about the inside. Uh, the clothes stood for the righteousness given by God to man through Christ. And often in the book of Revelation, uh, those, uh, the saints, uh, those uh, individuals um, who lived a faithful life, they're often represented as wearing white robes. Okay, they're, 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 you know, they're wearing this wedding garment. And so it matters uh, what one wears on the inside, and as we also um, understand through this parable that, you know, just one thing I just want to touch on real quick is that, um, is that we should be impressed with the inherent blessedness and happiness of the Christian life. Um, it's a great feast that we're pictured here, that uh, back here in Matthew chapter 22. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who is giving a wedding feast for his son. You know, oftentimes when we think of the Christian life, um, we think of somber, or, or maybe other individuals think uh, from the outside looking in, uh, think of it as somber and oppressive. Um, I was, again, another thing that I'd read here recently was uh, in the fourth century, there was this, this letter uh, that was written. Um, you know, it, it wasn't an inspired uh, letter, but it was you know, a fake letter that they really don't know who wrote it, but it talked about Jesus, you know, never laughing, but always weeping. And, you know, th this, this letter had lasting effects on individuals because, you know, whenever you see artist's work of, you know, a depiction of Jesus, he's often, you know, a pale face or, or, or weeping. Um, you know, you never see him uh, laughing. And throughout history... Um, we know, uh, you know, those who, uh, who um, you know, claim to, to be Christians, uh, you know, they've done some damage as well. The Puritans, if you're familiar with them, they condemned toys for children as works of the flesh. Right? They wouldn't even let children play with toys. Uh, John Wesley, who uh, went on to form the Methodist Church, uh, he had a boarding school. And he required the children to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning. And there were no recesses or holidays within this boarding school. And so a lot of times when individuals read about this and see this firsthand, you know, they look at Christianity as, um, again, this somber, this, uh, uh, 
uh, this oppressiveness, but that's not it at all. Jesus is telling us here, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Being a Christian, there's no uh, greater uh, bliss in this life. And in order for us to have that, we, we have to accept that invitation. And again, both of these parables that we've read last week and today as well, they show us an urgency of responding to the Lord's invitation. Um, it's imperative that we uh, let nothing hinder our obedience to the Lord. And so we are invited to the feast, the feast of all feasts. Right? It's a celebration that will never end, uh, but we cannot come to this feast on our own terms. Right? We, we can We'll be given an invitation, but we have to put on that wedding garment. We have to be ready to follow and be ready to, you know, to go when it's time, and we need to be ready and prepared. And so you know, there's a big difference between being invited to the feast and actually enjoying the feast. And so as we conclude this parable, I appreciate your attendance and your participation uh, this morning, and I believe, uh, Lenny, you have our closing prayer for us.